Well, good morning and welcome back. We're doing chapter 8, second part of chapter 8, the second coming of Jesus today. We're going to pick it up on page 101. Now, last week we talked about some cool stuff. We had some really good conversations. Um, maybe before we get into part 2, did anybody else have any more interesting ideas or thoughts about the idea of like fire? We talked about that a lot last week. Consuming fire, God's presence is fire versus fire that burns and melts. Because there was a lot of imagery that we talked about that really looks like so like doomsday-ish Armageddon-style movie scene in some ways, you know? And I just didn't know if there was anything left from that conversation that we should touch on before we keep going. Well, one of the examples they gave was uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah, and that really was fire and brimstone. Right. Yeah, they're still finding the brimstones and the water re recession of the water there at the Dead Sea. You can see the little clumps of brimstone just in the mud. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wanted to, I think, maybe bring up the point to see just how it fits that when God refers to the very elements melting, that, what would it say about God if people were still alive when that happened? You know? Versus, it's just consuming inanimate objects, material. There's nothing alive at that point. It's cleansing. Well, it, when you read about his coming, his glory is going to slay the wicked. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, so when that aspect, when he goes in for the first time, you know, and takes us home for that millennium, but when he comes back again, when the lake of fire is actually, you know, talked about, the very stones go to fervent heat like the sun. Right. It's, uh, the last death is, you know, it's, unfortunately, it's going to have to happen before everything is consumed and done. So the bottom paragraph on page 100, this is the question that we were going to try to answer jumping into today's discussion. Um, the righteousness are given new bodies at Christ's coming and are thus enabled to live in the actual presence of God. Then they are taken to heaven. But what will happen to those left behind who are not changed? Since no man in his corrupt flesh can see God and live, those left behind unchanged will perish in the presence of the consuming fire. So, we jump into 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Someone read that for us. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> I'll keep reading. Read that next paragraph, and we'll just unpack this. Jesus will not come veiled in the flesh when he comes again, but in power and great glory. Luke 21, 27. 
He will come as the Almighty God, giving immortality, eternal life to the righteous, but will be a consuming fire to the wicked. But keep in mind that the death and devastations that accompanies Christ's coming is not the willful act of vengeful retaliation, but simply the consequence of his coming and unveiled power and glory to rescue his people from the Antichrist. The second coming as described in the book of Revelation agrees with this conclusion. Any thoughts on that paragraph? Anything in there that sounds good? Anything in there that makes you go, mm, is that really true? Any thoughts? Makes you question, is God burning up those other people? Well, he will on the second coming. I mean, it's on the third coming. But on the second one, they're going to... See, there's going to be a, a millennium where Satan's going to walk the earth. No one's going to be alive. We're going to be in heaven judging, not really judging, but talking, you know, getting peace about who's not there. Yeah, Mark, what you're referring to is called the millennium, and that's actually ne uh, next week, chapter 9. Yeah. We're going to get into a lot of that. To yeah. me, it clearly it's clearly saying that the brightness of God, the brilliance of God, is compared to, they're, they're using a, um, what's the word? They're, you know, they're comparing it to a fire. It's not like a fire that that burns wood or something but it's it's his brilliance and it mm -hmm. says those it clearly says that those who are not connected to him they cannot they cannot see that brilliance just mm -hmm. like who was the the prophet that had to hide in the cave and god passed by elijah elijah mm -hmm. so that he wouldn't die from seeing the brilliance of god we talked about that all last week that god's you know presence is you know is a consuming fire it's brilliant it's bright and we talked about that idea like moses was on sinai and god hid his brilliance in the smoke and, and all of that but yet moses was still radiating that it's brilliance when he came down right yeah. and then the same you know there's a lot of different examples we kind of covered jesus god veiled his presence in the human form of jesus you know but at one point in time in fact in gethsemane i believe is it gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus for a brief second, Jesus revealed his brilliance. And what happened? The Bible says that everybody fell down. Everybody <laughs> leveled the whole place. And that was just a this quick. Yep. And then they still stood back up and they continued to arrest him. Which is a big evidence and a whole other conversation there. But something I wanted to point out though was in this chapter or in this paragraph and it didn't really sit well with me. Um, the last sentence, the uh, second to last sentence there, it said, uh, keep in mind that the death and devastation that accompanies Christ's coming is not the willful act of vengeful retaliation. I like that. But simply the consequence of his coming in unveiled power and glory. I like that. This part. To rescue his people from the Antichrist. Is that why Jesus comes? Like, I underlined that and wrote that question. Is that really why Jesus comes? To rescue people from the Antichrist? I've heard it written in several places with Ellen White and such that he does hasten his coming because of no one being available to save. So, I too have heard that, but it still doesn't sit well with me because a couple, a couple things I, I just maybe will throw out. One is the definition of death. There's sleep death, 
what we call death, God calls sleep. We talked about that in a previous chapter. Everyone who sleeps will rise again. Is God concerned about anybody who is sleeping? No, they'll rise again. I mean, he put the whole world to sleep in Noah's day with the flood, except for eight. But what is God concerned about? Eternal death, the death that is the wages of sin. And that's what we're going to learn about next week with the millennium. So, so this idea that what can the Antichrist do? What can people do? I mean, the Bible says, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the soul. Right? Is Jesus really concerned about the Antichrist putting people to sleep from a biblical state? Like, I, I don't think that, like, I think that, and I, and I like this author, and I like this whole study, but I think that the reason Jesus comes, you got to think about what's, why doesn't Jesus come now? Think about it now. Why, why isn't God coming now? And that's been asked for hundreds of years. Exactly. So what does the Bible say? What is Jesus waiting for? Well, he has had a chance to make a decision. Yes. Exactly. Everyone to have made a decision. Everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind. Everyone is sealed. You know, he's waiting for people who, who do not love themselves so much that they will shrink from death, right? They're sealed. They're either sealed in love for others, they have a, a character like Christ, or they're sealed in selfishness. They have a character that is passioned after Satan's. So unfortunately, me as a human being, I can be, be that, but somehow cuts me off on the road. Well, hold I'm on. reverting right back. I hear you. I hear you. But let me, that that's. But let me let me finish making my point. So if Jesus hasn't come yet, then what does that mean? If he's waiting for two groups to form. He's waiting for everyone to make those decisions. That's right. There's still a third group of people, and they're the ones that are on the fence. They're waiting to, I don't, I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. Okay? And that's where, like, when Jesus says, when the gospel, which isn't, you know, what I think a lot of people say is the gospel. gospel is good news about God's character. When it goes to the whole world, it gives people an, an opportunity to make a decision, right? And based on their decisions, we'll determine which direction they're going. So if, if Jesus hasn't come yet, because there's still a third group of people who are not fully persuaded, they're not fully sealed, then Jesus will come when that moment happens. If you think about that. For God, who knows all the hearts and thoughts of men, for him to look down and say, there's two groups. Everyone has made a decision now. What's the point in delaying any longer? Everyone has decided. Right? And so I think that Jesus isn't going to come to save people from the Antichrist. I think, again, this is my opinion. The work is finished. The Antichrist is going to show up, and that's going to that's going to, I think, really be a pivotal moment of people making decisions, right? And at that point, Jesus says, "It's done. They're all sealed. The end will come." My uh, my opinion, my view. Now, during that time frame of that happening, What's being talked about here as far as the Antichrist and showing himself and deceiving the people here on this earth, that's all happening during that time frame. And once 
the folks that deny that overwhelming experience, they will be hunted. They will be killed. They will be, uh, um, you know, and and so it's, you know, I, I think in my mind when I, you know, kind of think about it, I think the hastening portion is, is more of you know, like you know he says let let those that are good be good still let those yeah, be evil be evil yeah. still yeah which is an evidence though that verse that verse is an evidence to what I just talked about because when Jesus says let him who holy be holy let mm-hmm. him who's unholy be unholy there's only two groups at that point like that's what that verse is describing yes um, but so like are you saying kind of like the idea like. He's going they're still going to be... hasten, like, these people are sealed. That they're, mm-hmm. you know, there's two groups, right? But he has come back a little bit earlier just because it's so terrible and there's such persecution at that point that they're just being tortured for no yes. apparent reason, right? Like, so being merciful, he's going to come back a little early so that, you know, like, they're not just tortured unnecessarily at that point. Mm-hmm. And in that case, then this sentence actually might kind of make sense right um you know in the aspect of like okay so there there's those two groups these people now are just being tortured for no reason so being merciful he's going to come back to save them from an unnecessary you know death mm-hmm. you know at the hands of the antichrist basically so and i, I can get on board with that right know? And it, that's awesome, too, because, like you say, God God is merciful. So not that they would change, yeah. right? Like, not that mm-hmm. they would go back to the other group or, yeah. or falter. It's just that, like, if they're already sealed, then why put them through that one last, right. you know, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Let's move on down here through to Revelation 19. This is an insane verse. Excuse me, what page are you on? I'm on 101. Revelation 19, 11 to 15. This is a crazy verse. Revelation's amazing. And the whole point the author's bringing out right here is he's just trying to to really... Um, because like we talked about last week, there's a lot of people that have a lot of different views and how Satan has distorted how Jesus is going to come. Like the rapture. There's a lot of different type of beliefs out there. And so what the author's here is doing, he's just giving a lot of biblical evidence to support the act this you know the fact that it's literal it's real it's audible it's you know to clear things up so revelation 19 11 to 15 now i saw a heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he himself will rule with them a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Fear God and give him glory. <laughs> How do you do that? <clears throat> How do you understand that? Well, let's just kind of read down through here and see what the author brings out. Um, someone willing to read through that next paragraph? The armies in heaven and the clouds both refer to holy angels who accompany the Lord at his return 
as we discussed earlier in Matthew 25, 31. But notice the wording. He treads in the winepress. He strikes the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron. These terms are taken from the Old Testament, with each one denoting destruction. The following are examples. Keep going. Psalms 279. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Hmm. The next one, Isaiah 11, 4, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with, with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. So, important point that I really like the author brought out. This next paragraph, these texts imply Christ is ruling over this act of destruction, not ruling over people as a king over a nation. What do you think of that? So yeah, treading the winepress and crushing the grapes, they're metaphors for destruction. There's some real biblical evidence to that. Jesus, meek and mild, who, who calls the children to sit on his lap, I'm picturing an angry father coming after those who have hurt his children. And he's coming to rescue and save them. That's what I'm picturing. It talks about the wrath um, of, you know, there's so much destruction happening here in the world. And God's angry at that. He's angry at all, you know, he created this beautiful place for us to live, for his children to live in, and it's just been so destroyed, you know. And he's, and he's mad. Not at us, not at his people, but just at what, everything that's happened. But and then I have to question, because within some of the prior lessons that we've gone through, Okay, this is what it says. It says the text imply Christ is ruling over this act of destruction, not ruling over people. He's ruling over this act, okay? That doesn't mean that there is his physical action to it. It means it's going to be done, and he's going to make sure it's going to be done. Kind of like a, this has to be done. I'm going to see that it's going to be done. But this distraction could also be like from the prior lessons, him taking the blame mm. for the destruction that's happening because that's what he does. He, he's taken that blame before. So, I mean, that just makes me question that. I'm not saying yeah. that I'm, you know, this is what it is. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just saying that makes me, with all the things that we've read before, how much of that is, you know, now, don't get me wrong, he's capable of all of that if he wanted to. Um, but I could almost see him being the guide there, being this has to be done in order to go to the next chapter, 
But it's being done, whether it's our own people doing whatever mass war or or nuclear weapons or right. or whatever it is. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And he's taking the blame again. Well, do we have do we have a biblical evidence of how God rules over people and rules over the act of destruction in the Bible? Well, we have Noah's Ark. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking of, right? So we have a biblical example of what God does when he's overseeing destruction and also overseeing people. So there's a, there's a picture of how God does this. Because the second coming of Jesus that we're talking about is, a, is you can almost say, it's like the flood. He's just not using water. He's using fire this time. So... Think of think of it this way. So so, how did Jesus? Because as we understand, I think in Colossians it talks about that it was Jesus who did the flood. So how did Jesus rule over the people in Noah's time before the flood? He warned them, and then he saved those who were willing to be saved. So how did he warn them? He gave Noah a message. Right. So he had prophets, spoke persons to share the message for a long time. And then he started giving some evidence, the evidence of like the ark being built, raindrops falling, Mark. Well, Noah is also creating a spectacle. That's right. He's building this ship where there's no water. Right. That's, that's you know what it I mean. It gets people's attention. It gets people's attention. Right. And for 150 years. Right. And so did anybody at that time for, you know, 100 plus years, was anybody coerced? Was anybody forced? Was anybody threatened? Do this or else? No. None. It was simply... Here's the truth, here's evidence to support the truth, and you're free to make up your own decision. That's how God ruled over people in that moment. But now then, what did God do when it came time for the waters to start happening? He opened up the floodgates, the Bible says, the water started coming. Now the Bible doesn't actually say, this is a small caveat to this, the Bible doesn't actually say that everyone who was lost was lost. Like, we don't know if there was, uh, you know, I think about this situation, Boaz is 10. You know, Daddy, I want to get on the boat. I listen to Noah. I, I believe him. I want to get on the boat. You're not getting on that boat. The guy's a quack. And the parents refuse to let the child get on the boat. And the child dies. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't know that. But God does, and that's what's beautiful about it. But we're talking about sleep death. But I think what's really important, though, is to, to think about that when it says Christ is ruling over the act of destruction, not ruling over people as a king over a nation. That's a really important point. We can, we can see how God ruled over people just before something was destroyed and can kind of come away with that. Just like in the second coming, there's evidence, there's God's character, there's a message, there's people who are preaching a message. Things happen to get people's attention. But when Jesus comes, just like the waters, you're free to make your own decision. And God's wrath is not anger, getting mad, getting even. God's wrath biblically is leaving people free to reap the consequences of their choices. That is God's wrath. But I like the father analogy that you brought up, Tammy, because it's like, you know, you, you go and you get a... Um, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, we had um, cats go in and nest on the engine, and Dad started up the engine, and one 
cat was badly maimed but still alive. Mm. And well, he took him out back and finished the cat just so that it would be merciful. Mm. And I kind of look at this as far as, you know, God coming down and just finishing the job. It's unpleasant. It's not cool. But yet... It's finished. It's done. We gotta do it. There's no one left to save. Right. We gotta do it. And the world can't keep going. Imagine for a moment how much pain God will feel in that moment. Because these are all his children. These are all his created beings. These are, you know, Lucifer was his covering cherub from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Like in that moment, there's no one left to save. I need to, we need to, and, and God knows. God knows that, like put yourself in this. He knows that, man, the moment I show up, they're all going to die. Just put yourself in that position. The moment I show up, they're all going to die. Not because I'm killing them, but because they're they're out of harmony. Yeah. Think of the the agony and and like God has to go through to take a huge deep breath and say, "Hmm." who's there with their arms around God saying you did the best you can think about that you did all that you could you did the best you can Revelation talks about when all the angels and the heavenly hosts say holy 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 that's the imagery of that all the heavenly hosts are, are doing that with God right now you're righteous you're true you did the best you can Um, the lesson here, further on down, page 102, more more out of Revelation, he talks about like what happens to the rest of the people who aren't changed. That's really what we're talking about. Um, in Revelation 19, he talks about the rest of the people are those left behind. And this is a really interesting, kind of grotesque picture. Lola, I saw you over there going, mm-hmm. to Mark's view of the cat. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and so on and so forth. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and all the armies gathered together to make war against him. And he, and he, he, he paints this big imagery... The mark of the beast is there, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. What is the sword? Right? That's a symbol for something. The Bible says the sword is the sword of truth. Okay? So Jesus brings the truth. If you lived your life despising truth, avoiding it, what happens when truth shows up? It's a harsh lesson. It's a harsh lesson. And this imagery is described that it is actually so harsh that it kills you. Mm-hmm. You actually die in his presence. You're overwhelmed. Thank you. Yeah. And we've all been there. We've all had, if, if we're open, we can all identify times in our lives where we believed this lie, we were in denial for a long time, and then the truth actually finally hit us, and it was like so painful. The realization of the situation. 
So if you, yeah. So the rest are those who are left behind at the second coming. Clearly they perish and become food for the vultures. Jesus talks about that too. What do you guys think of all of that? A bunch of dead bodies laying around. And no one to bury them. Nobody to bury That's kind of the picture that's painting as I'm understanding it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He says the vultures will pick their flesh. That goes to show you there too when it's coming that he he didn't slay the animals and the the things that did not fall. Mm, interesting. Horses. Only humanity. Yeah. Horses don't get to choose whether they're good or bad. They're just honored. That's right. So, man, that just opens up so many questions. Well, Jesus, you know? here in Luke, Luke 17, Jesus words himself right there at the very bottom, verse 37. And Jesus said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. You know, and there's some verses there in Job that talks about, you know, the eagles. Yeah. Carrying birds. Mm-hmm. So there will still be life on this earth. Interesting. You know, that's what my brain's all of a sudden seeing. Like, the mm. earth is left to the animals. There are no more humans. Mm. I don't know. I don't actually know that. It's in, you know, because it talks yeah. about the birds coming to eat the mm. flesh. So is, is it the birds coming to eat the flesh literally meaning mm. that there's just mm. going to be dead bodies everywhere and that there's still going to be animal life? Or is it is it there to... To say that the, the dead aren't going to hell someplace. The people who are left, they're just... They're, they're just, you know, earthly waste at that point. So I think next week when we talk about the millennium, it, it describes earth as just a... Nothing there. Void. That's right. Thank you. Void. There's nothing there. The earth is at rest. Nothing's going on. We'll get into that next week. Um, so let's flip over to 104. Um, what do you think? What's your thought? Yeah, Peter watched Wally, the movie, when the humans just go up into the thing. There's nothing to rush. It's trash. Hmm. That's a good point. I'm glad you made that connection. There's no way. She's going to come. Um, Jeremiah 4, 23 and 28. Someone read that for us. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void. In the heavens they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of heaven had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord. The whole land shall be desolate. Yet I will not make a full end, for this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken, and I have proposed, and will not relent, nor will I turn back from it. What do you take away from that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That kind of describes 
we were just talking about what it might look like here. So, so this, it's like depressing, man. It's like this lesson is just making this turn. And we, we just say like, how do we understand all these things? That number one, it makes God look good. That we end up in the end joining the angels saying, holy, 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 this is amazing. What you've done is amazing. Because here's descriptions of our home being turned into just an utter nuclear wasteland. Nothing. Of nothing, nothing. It's all destroyed. Again, did God show up and and destroy the people, or is He just cleansing? Like here down on Route Thirty, near Thomasville, they have destroyed a sheets. Like they've made an utter end of it. Like they had a sheets, you could go there, you could pump gas. They demoed the entire thing. They dug up the foundation. They ripped out all the electrical. They demoed it. It was a utter wasteland of a dirt pad. The whole place. Wow. It's kind of an interesting metaphor to think about. What are they doing? They're going to rebuild and make a new building. In order for them to rebuild and upgrade and make something beautiful and something new and something amazing, they had to utterly get rid of the old. Completely. They didn't kill any people. Right? They just destroyed the old so that there's space for the new. And I think that that's what is being described here. Jesus says in the second coming, when he looks down and he says, he makes an accurate diagnosis. There's two groups. There's no one left to save. Let's go get them. You know, this is going to be painful. This is going to be horrible. All the wicked are slain by the brightness of his coming. And then he makes an utter end and cleanses the whole earth. Because to bring in something new, we got to get rid of the old. But I also think about, too, is that Satan and his angels will be here on this earth for those quiet, right. that quiet millennium. They'll yeah. have no one to tempt, no one to stir up anything. They'll just be sitting there waiting for what's coming. And I kind of equate it like when my dad was, was chasing me, I would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. He'd excuse me to my bedroom for about 10 minutes. I had a chance to think about my situation. And then he'd come in there, he'd talk to me about my situation, and then I would get the punishment that was coming to me. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it'll give that time of reflection for Satan and his angels to be like, yeah, you really were stickers. Yeah. It'd be interesting when we get into the, the topics next week. Yeah, because yeah. that, yeah, it is, it really is interesting. So at the bottom of page 104, the author kind of summarizes this. Clearly, this is a picture of total devastation upon the earth as a result of the coming of the Lord in power and glory. The earth will be broken down. The wicked all will be slain by the brightness of his coming, and the elect will be gathered by the angels and taken to heaven as Christ promised. There are few today who realize how critical it is for those living in the end times to know Jesus and the manner of his return. The reason being that before the actual coming of Christ, we can expect there to be a great counterfeit. Remember Jesus' warnings, Matthew 24, 24. For false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And the Bible tells us that Satan will be transformed into an angel of light. Light's a symbol of like love and truth, and I'm on your side, and I'm here to help and save. And Right? 
Jesus is like. Here's a thought I have. Go for it. Okay. Just because this is all bugging me. That's good. Okay. So, you know, when we are in school and we learn about the other planets mm -hmm. and how they, they're desolate. They, there's no life in them. Pictures of the moon or something like that. Yeah. The other planets. Mm -hmm. And, and we could never live there because we can't breathe that air or live there or grow things there or animals can't be there and that sort of thing. Okay. Now, with Christ coming back in his original form, his, you know, and his glory and, you know, it wipes out, I guess, the rest of the world that isn't going to go with him. It's almost as simple as the elements how they have rules mm -hmm. certain elements can't mix with certain elements yes. and when they come in it snuffs the air out or it does something to that effect mm -hmm. if i look at it that way i see it as fair i know it sounds crazy but if i look at it that way with his elements his glory and he is oxygen and this but you bring it in here and all of a sudden the chemicals in the air change, the elements change, and it's no longer viable for humans. Then mm. I see it as not a cruel thing, right. but just as the rules of nature of how they are. Yeah. Oh, I, just, I just had to say that because it's just been like rolling so in my head. <laughs> well said. Dude. <laughs> It's like, you know, you know what I thought? And this is going to be, it, it's like, okay, a lot of breeders, okay, reptile breeders, uh -huh. they got to feed them snakes and lizards something. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, they don't take mice and kill a mouse individually. Right. No, they take 50 mice, they put them in a container, and they pump it full of carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. And all the mice die just like that. Mm -hmm. Because now the environment is not, like, they're no longer in harmony with right. the environment. Right. Life can't exist there. Right. That's exactly what kind of like I hear you, so when... So Romans, I think it says, yeah, that uh, Paul says, like, all of nature groans under the weight of sin. Mm -hmm. And sin is, you know, selfishness. Sin is not, not at all in harmony with how God created. Mm -hmm. So when the source of life shows up in an environment where life shouldn't exist, you're exactly right. It's, it's a design law thing. Right. It, there's nothing arbitrary about it. Right. It yeah. doesn't look like an angry cruel god right when i see it that way i see it as an it's just the rules of how things are that's right and it just reality it's it's just what it is it's just what yes. nature is doing and what yep. it is and then yep. then it seems like well that's not cruel and you see evidence to that because when moses said god you're my friend i want to see your face and god said you can't no man can see my face and live right, right. That, that's not saying i'll have to kill you He's just simply saying reality. It's reality. Right. You can't survive if you see me. So then it, it goes back again. Think about it from God's perspective. When I show up, everybody's going to die. Mm -hmm. When I show up, everybody's going to die. Thanks for bringing that in, Lola. That was a really good. Thanks. Oh, that was super good. How do we understand that when when Jesus when Satan shows up as the lawless one as the Antichrist? How Satan will physically appear on the earth? 
That's also it's telltale sign that it's a false it's a falsity. Because if he was God, how come people aren't falling out? Mm-hmm. It shows his limitedness too, yeah. because he doesn't have the all-powerful creator's power to yeah. be able to just show up and things happen. Yeah. You know, he's going to make things happen through deception and selfishness and, and violence and whatever yep. tools and trickery that he's capable yep. of using, but they're not the tools that God would use because God is just God. When you look at Moses and Aaron, when Aaron threw his rod down and turned to a snake, and the magicians threw their staves down and they turned into snakes, but his snake... Aaron Snake ate all the other ones. And a wild story with it. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't Satan make one of the snakes attack Aaron Snake? Powerless. Right. I think something, too, to point out is that Satan's number one, what Satan wants is to be worshipped as God. Right. And you see evidence to that. He even told Jesus himself, worship me and I'll give you this earth. So if you think about here at the bottom of page 105, in Second Thessalonians, Paul writes some stuff in here about, I think it's verse um, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 3, and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we can understand all of that. He's not talking about Satan literally going to heaven and kicking God off his throne in heaven and sitting up there. God's temple is in our hearts and minds. Right? And so this is this is the process that he's talking about. Now, when Jesus showed up, did Jesus seek to exalt himself? No. Did he seek to be worshipped? No. The Bible actually says in John, just before Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the verses right before that event, John says that Jesus, knowing that all power on heaven and earth was given to him, the very next act Jesus did was to bend down and wash the disciples' feet. When Jesus knew that all power was given to him, he didn't seek to be worshipped, he sought to serve. And that's a really great illustration to think about when the Antichrist comes up. He's not going to seek to serve. He's going to seek to be worshipped. How does that fit, you guys? What do you think of that? It's a whole different picture. I mean, and, and you can go back in history and see the way that gods were worshipped, mm. you know, and those were all deceptions of Satan as well, and, you know, they sacrificed children and animals and, yeah. and, and whatever, what have you, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and they were always angry gods, you know, so that's the example that's been set throughout the years, so that's why it's so easily people will be deceived in the future because, hey, this is history, this is how it's always been. You know, and you and you see that because you know even even in the last couple of years they have found, you know, archaeological archaeological digs and stuff like that. They found places where this sort of thing happened. You know, and I think one of the last ones that I saw that was huge was in China. 
Mm. You know, and then wow. like, people were just shocked, you know, that that was there. Wow. And it's been happening since yeah. the beginning of, you know, I wouldn't say the beginning of time, but after everyone fell, you know. Right. Well, man is pretty much bent towards leadership anyway. I see it in my job. So they'll go and invite a vice president to a dinner, and but if the doctor gets in anything technical, the vice president probably can't answer the question. So they'll go to the highest person they can get to that dinner rather than the person that might be the best person for that dinner. Mm -hmm. And so it's they always shoot for the higher thing. So let's say, hypothetically, we're in a very tumultuous world. Let's say it gets even worse and then all of a sudden this being comes and straightens everything out so well, the, the lesson brings it out peace and safety mm -hmm. peace and safety peace and safety and and then that's that's gonna be like well this being is that powerful he's worthy of he's the yep. most powerful thing on earth yep so what will come with it though and this is where it's really important because like the bible says even the elect will be deceived so how do you How do you guard yourself against that? Because haven't we seen 2020, 2021, the whole world cried, peace and safety, peace and safety, just wear a mask, just get a shot. Peace and safety, peace and safety, just wear a mask, just get a shot. What was along with that whole message? If you don't follow along, then you're, you know, Coercion, coercion, <laughs> fear, mm -hmm. bullying, pressure, right? Those are the two things that come along with it. And that's what mm -hmm. you don't see with Jesus. You don't exactly. see the coercion, the fear, the bullying. You don't lose your uh, choice. There you go. You don't lose your choice That's right. with Jesus. That, well said. You don't lose your choice with Jesus. When Satan shows up, I'm here to set all this right, like you described Mark as beautiful. But, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> my brain is picturing, like, you know, first when I would hear that verse as I was picturing Satan, you know, transforming himself and being, um, now I'm picturing it as, as a leader, a leader that rises up that is under the control of Satan, mm -hmm. a human leader who rises up and all of a sudden he's able to straighten everything up. But when it says, you know, he, he sits he comes in a place of Christ and can take his place. Um, he wants to be worshipped like God. To me, there's already a person in this world that's like that. You know, has claimed himself the mediator, uh, the mediator of the people to God. But this one is going to be the absolute most powerful that says he's going to straighten everything out in the world. You know, and, and he'll be somebody that says you have to, you know, you have to follow a strict religious code because all this is happening because we have fallen away, you know, but it's going to be a very, very strong religious leader. To I'm me, here to save you. That, yes. I'm here to save you. This is how, and this is how we have to do it. Yeah. I'm here to save you. Yeah. And his name is 666. Hmm. The official name of the Pope. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be one that's 85 years old. Mm -hmm. No, no. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Bible... The one that died and came again. 
it's uh, it's an interesting conversation because yeah, is it going to be a person that Jesus that Satan's working through, or as the Bible in some places specifically says, Satan himself? He impersonates people, right? So yeah, but it says too. It says a beast, and it says the other. Mm. It the said beast it right and the here. false prophet. Yes. Crazy, right? Yeah. Mm. Come Church Lord Jesus come. So 107, page 107, it gets into, he kind of starts talking about a little bit more. Jesus said, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And that's not to mean like a thief, it's secret. It's just when you're not expecting it to. But, cool point that we talked about last week, the Bible says that those who are of the light won't be taken by surprise because they're expecting it. With all the world believing the coming of Christ has already occurred, no one is looking for him. Now, let's get some context to this. Maybe read 106, paragraph 4106. However, there will be one group who will not acknowledge the Antichrist as Christ. Instead, they will be proclaiming that he is an imposter. This group will be seen as blasphemers and demonic and will be condemned to death. These are the true followers of Christ who know the truth and whom, now being condemned by the world, Jesus has come and rescued from certain alienation. Remember, Jesus said, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. With all the world believing the coming of Christ has already occurred, no one is looking for him. But that is when the true Christ will come and then sudden destruction. So if the whole world, this is where it gets really kind of important about your view of God. If your view of God is one of like a Caesar, a Roman dictator, or of a God that works just like a king would, arbitrary, then when Satan shows up claiming to be Jesus, you're there because that's how he's going to behave. That's how he operates. And so when the author here says like the whole world already thinking that Jesus has already come, well, because their view of God is that way anyway. Remember we talked about, was it last week or the week before? Um, people had itchy ears, so they raised up for themselves teachers. You know, they're, what they were searching for. They're trying to make it fit. That's right. Mm -hmm. So they already had this belief that God is arbitrary, that God is severe, that God is judgmental, that God is coercive. The God that just makes up rules and then punishes you if you don't follow them, then when Satan shows up and does that, well, there he is. He's come. I do want to add one more thing, and that is because I didn't say it earlier, and that is I'm not saying that God can't be angry. I'm sure he's very capable of it. Right. But I think his reasonings behind his anger, they're not necessarily towards us or towards even Satan. I think it's more like, I have to show up and do this and this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Or I have, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's still love even in his anger. Yeah. Sure. I heard, a, I heard this metaphor once a long time ago. If you as a parent had a sibling who was 23 but was born with some mental illness, was psychopathic, was schizophrenic, was very, very dangerous. And you love this child. 
and then you also have a younger child who's four. And the you couldn't you couldn't prevent the older child from hurting the younger child. If you could put your older child into cryogenic sleep and pause them to allow your younger child to grow and develop and be healthy, would you do it? And the second question is, if you could, and this is your older child, you love this person, how much pain would you be in to know that you're going to do something to that older child to keep everyone else safe too? Or whatever it could be, right? So I kind of think of that same analogy that's not kind of connected with what you just said, that Jesus isn't showing up angry. He's, he's making the hard choice. Right. Well, once you set that in motion, I mean, you saw what his presence, you know, when you heard about what, what his presence did to Mount Sinai. Yeah. Can you imagine when he's actually showing his full glory, what the earth will do? It'll crumble. It'll, It'll rock. break apart. Yeah. Because the whole earth, because the whole earth is out of harmony with God. All of nature operates under the strongest survive, survival of the fittest principle, mm-hmm. right? Eat or be eaten. And that's not God's ways at all. You're right. Hmm. Well, in closing, this has been a pretty amazing, pretty amazing discussion. One last thing I think I want to touch on, and then we can close it out there. Page 108, um, the top. Well, uh, previous, uh, Matthew 24, 12 to 14. Jesus says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Following paragraph, the author writes, Gospel means good news. And the gospel that must go into all the world before the end comes is the good news about God. God is not what his enemies have made him out to be. God is just like Jesus. The world needs to know that. And that is to be the work of the church. But unfortunately, it has not done a very good job thus far. Do we believe that the SDA church in its current form has done a really good job of teaching people that God is just like Jesus? And not like his enemies have made him out to be. Do we believe that most of Christianity teaches that? Or do we believe that most of Christianity teaches that God is pretty severe? Yeah. And that praise Jesus that he's there protecting us from the Father. Yeah. That is that is why Jesus hasn't come yet. Because most of Christianity is teaching a false. They're supporting Satan's view of God. Because Jesus plainly states, Father loves you like I love you. If you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm not going to pray to the Father on your behalf because the Father himself loves you. You go talk to him yourself. I and the Father are one. So the, so the point to all of this is what? 
we wrestle a lot with a lot of these ideas that we've been grown up with and taught and our own preconceived ideas about who God is and second coming. I just hope that just hope that our wheels are turning, maybe. Any final thoughts before we have closing prayer? The last paragraph of this chapter, just to finish it off, says, In this lesson we have learned that when Jesus comes, there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the destruction of the wicked. But this is not the end. So there's hope. In the next lesson, we'll, we will study what is known as the millennium. The book of Revelation talks about this time period in which Satan will be bound, the wicked will be resurrected, and the final judgment. This is another topic that has been subjected to much deception, but we will find the truth in the Bible. So when Jesus comes, it will be literal, it will be audible, it will be visible, and it is not the complete end. I think those are some hopeful hopeful things in there too to think about. Let's pray. Well, if we play our cards right, are we going to be seeing, are we going to be dealing with the complete end then? I'm not following your question. Christ comes, raises us up. You know, then the swath, and then we had the, the millennium. Are we our soul, our, 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 as we are raised, will we see that second, will we see what's happening to the earth? Will we see what's happening to this world? So are you asking when Jesus, at the second hymn of Jesus, when the righteous are raised from the dead, will we be able to witness the, the destruction that we just talked about? Yes. I believe 100%. You're going to be with it from that point on. You're going to be in heaven for those, that millennium. You're going to be coming back down here on this earth. You're going to watch the second resurrection, which is going to be the evil and the folks that didn't make it. You're going to watch what happens there as they try to attack the city. You're going to see all the elements catch on fire. You're going to watch the folks perish. And you're going to watch Satan and his angels be thrown into that lake of fire. You're going to witness all of that. And then you're going to watch the earth get remade again. And then you're going to be able to go and move on. Because your peace had already come during that millennium. You know now why. So that when you come back, you're just a witness of, witness of it. So it'd be, it would not speak well of God for us to have recorded in the Bible second coming of Christ will look like and the events preceding it to be able to read about it and imagine in our minds but then I'll actually be able to witness it to actually see it happen because see that's the thing that's pretty amazing when Jesus wrote a lot of times in the Bible it actually talks about a prophecy so these things were written down so that when they come to pass you'll know it and so if these aren't here and then Jesus comes, and then we don't actually get to see all. You'll you'll be left with a lot more questions. You'll you'll be left with wondering, like, was it actually how that happened? I remember reading about it, but I didn't actually remember seeing it. And then, 
how is that going to help you stay fully persuaded? There's, there's actually more questions. And so the idea, remember, God is a source of truth. And so when truth is revealed, it answers your questions. You're settled. You're settled into the truth. You don't have any more questions. So that, mind you, that gate in the new Jerusalem is open. Mm -hmm. And this destruction happens. And these people will make the same choices. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about Lenaim next week. We'll start that conversation, and that'll be another really big one. So I just encourage all of you guys to read it, study it, read up on it. That'll be good. So let's, let's close. We're about out of time now. Thank you, God, for this conversation. Thank you so much that even though it's going to be a, a crazy event, but crazy for who, right? Because the closer we get to being and living in harmony with you, um, I think there's a hymn out there that says, you know, the, the things of this world grow strangely dim. And, you know, the closer we get to being in harmony with you, the more and more this world becomes unappealing and distasteful to us. And uh, we don't like it. We long for something better. And that's evidence of change. And so God, I just, you know, there's, there's hope in this as well that it truly will be an amazing day when you come, but it will also be truly a sad day. Because all of us will know and love people who just would not choose to follow you. So between now and then, work through us. Speak through us, through our actions and our lives as we demonstrate your character. And Lord Jesus, help us have eyes to see the people who we come in contact with on a daily basis who are searching, who are in that third camp. And may we reveal them, reveal you to them, to bring them truth, to bring them evidence. By the way we live and speak and our attitudes and our thoughts and our heart motives, that will help them be settled in the truth about you as well. That is our purpose, God. Thank you so much for this Sabbath. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.